Dave, good job. So Dave is saying that he, uh, when he talks to his Marines, he's good. When he came up here for service, he's all nervous. And I'm like, welcome to the club, brother. Yeah. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Happy July. Isn't it crazy? Half the year has already passed. Oh, man, I don't know about you, but I feel like every year I say this, time just seems to accelerate more and more uh, as each year goes by. Uh, but uh, the other thing that was cool is this past Friday, some of you guys saw our Facebook post or mine, uh, is our church 21-year anniversary. And so um, just rejoicing really in God's goodness this past 21 years. I can't believe it. I planted the church when I was eight years old. And uh, just, that was a joke, sorry, yeah. But uh, no, the Lord's been just so thankful for God's faithfulness to us uh, over these years. And I'm excited, I'm excited. God's not done and all that he wants to continue to do in and through our lives. And so uh, thank you for being a part of God's story and joining us. And I know some are new this morning, so we're blessed that you're here. Uh, we do hope and pray that you feel loved and welcomed and that uh, at the end, you know, just getting into the Word of God, that you're edified and encouraged in your spirit today. Uh, real quick, in regards to tomorrow, please pray. We're really hoping that we'll be able to get to the beach and just have a great time. Uh, it's not a Japanese holiday, so of course it is a, a U.S. holiday. Uh, there's an advantage to that in that we're, we usually don't have to compete then with uh, you know, other crowds at that particular beach. Uh, it's one we've been going to for many years and so our normal play is that we basically rent out half the cabanas that are there. There's about, about 10 that we rent out, reserve, you know, the church does for all of us. There's actually an air-conditioned room, too. So if you have littles or you yourself, you know, get a little overheated, you can just pop right into that air-conditioned room. The other thing that we like about that beach is there is a small restaurant there, and they have soba and onigiris. They also have blue seal ice cream, so that's the that was the <laughs> the win. Um, but hopefully, you can you know join us. It is a kind of bring your own food, you know, bring your own lunch and snacks kind of deal. Uh, again, we'll we'll rent a flat grill. It's not a don't think you know like grill with grates. It's just kind of a flat top uh, grill. So that'll be available if you want to cook or warm anything up as well. Uh, but really, just to gather us the body and have fun. We will be doing baptisms there as well, and so I've talked with two people who have expressed that they would like to be baptized in their faith in Jesus Christ, and so, again, you can come out, and it's always a great time, especially if you're new, you know, just to meet the body and make some friends and, you know, cultivate some relationships, so uh, we'd love to, love to see you out there, okay? Uh, today is the first Sunday of the month. I think most of you know for us at Calvary, uh, the first Sunday is when we do our time of communion. We'll go to the Lord's table. Uh, and have a time of worship at the close of our service. Uh, but because of that, I want to just jump right in as we can. Um, so if you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible or electronic device, you didn't download a Bible, that's okay. We, we'd be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow with us. And uh, all you got to do is raise your hand real high, and the guys here will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can uh, read and follow along. Again, we're James chapter 1. Most of you know we've been making our way through this uh, really great, instructive, hearty letter that James has written, the half-brother of Jesus. And we, we just go systematically. You know, it's, it's book by book, it's chapter by chapter, and it's verse by verse. And so we are here at verse 21. We're going to make our way to verse 25, this next section. 
You'll note with me as it begins at a transition, so I'll do my best to give us some context and background, uh, at least for us as we read verse 21, it begins, therefore. So, all right, you guys good? Thank you, Michael. All right, wonderful. I'm going to uh, ask you to stand with me, please, in honor of God's word. I entitled our message this morning, really simply, just hear and heed a rephrase of what James tells us to do in verse 22, for us to hear the word of God and to heed the word of God. James writes, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, the overflow, or your Bible might say the abundance of wickedness, and then receive with meekness. Notice there's a qualifier. It's humility that will receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then he adds, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And notice there's an, admi- an a warning. An admi- what am I trying to say? Admonition. I need another cup of coffee. This warning, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, here's the analogy he uses. He's like a a man, a person who observes their natural face in the mirror, they observe themselves, they go away and immediately forget what type of person they were. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues, it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, James adds, this one will be blessed in what they do. All right. Pause. I know David just prayed, but uh, permit me. I want to pray real quick this morning. Uh, the Plasners are going to be PCSing, and so we want to pray for, for Rainbow. And uh, welcome back to the Romnicks. Blessed to have you guys. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for our morning, for your word, for our time. Lord, as David prayed, we thank you for the rain. Your word tells us that it's your common grace upon the just and the unjust your goodness to us in so many ways of how you bless us here, Lord. And and one of those greatest ways is by our our relationships. And Lord, I think about the 21 years of your faithfulness here, Lord, and really the, the gift and the treasure that we have, and that is not only our, our relationship with you, but our relationship with each other. And Father, I pray as we spend our time in your word that you would cultivate in our hearts an appetite for the things of you, but Lord, to include then a sincere desire just to make connection with people. And Lord, we're grateful for the Plasners and just the blessing they've been to so many of us as they've fellowshiped here, if they've plugged in, and they've served. And Lord, we love them. We're going to miss them. We ask that you bless them as they head to Arizona. Lord, we're grateful for even the families that you've brought back. We think about the Romnicks and others recently and uh, the God bees and others, Lord, just getting a, a, another, um, another blessing uh, to be able to do life and ministry together. And Lord, we just, we thank you for all the things that you're doing in and through our lives. God, you're not done. And so we look to you to continue to work and speak and have your way. We commit our morning of study to you, our time of communion as well. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Would you take a moment, say hello to someone, especially if you don't know them? Maybe just introduce yourself.
like the super friendly bunch right there in the back. Yeah. I'll just go. Some, uh, no worries, no worries. When the music stops, you got to be in a chair. That's, that's how you some years ago, uh, some of you might remember, there was this ad campaign that ran both on TV and in print for Volkswagen. And the ad campaign, the slogan, to me was pretty catchy. It said, on the road of life, there are passengers and there are drivers. And the next little line was, drivers wanted. Anybody remember that little catchy phrase? Uh, I, I, I thought it was kind of cool. In some ways, I, I think it could be applied to our life as Christians, it could be an ad slogan for the Christian faith that in our walk with the Lord on this road of life, there can be times where there are just spectators and there are participants. And I would uh, dare say to you that James would encourage us, perhaps even challenge us to not just be spectators, but that God wants participants. He's, at, he's seeking active participants. Now, please understand, there are aspects to our faith as we follow the Lord that we are simply recipients of God's grace, of his unmerited favor to you and for you. God is the initiator. God is the activator. Uh, God is the one who put into motion our salvation, for example. It is because God loved and loves you that God then, God sent his only begotten son to be born, to live a life without sin in your place and mine, to then die on a cross on a hill called Calvary for your sins and mine in place of you and me, to take my sin, your sin, the power and the penalty of your sin and my sin. What did we do? We did nothing to deserve that. That's all God. God did that. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And so salvation for you and for me, it is a gift of God. It's grace that he gives us and he offers us freely. It's back in verse 18 that James reminds us that it's of God's own will that he brought us forth by the word of truth. And so there are elements of our faith, if you will, aspects of our faith that we're simply the recipients of God's amazing grace. But along with that, being recipients of grace, we're also called to be responders of grace. The Bible says that we loved God because he first loved us. And so, yes, God loved you, but we respond to God's love by loving him. The idea then, having been brought forth by the word of truth, being born again by the Spirit of God, being adopted and chosen and brought into the family of God, well, now as family of God, God then gives us things that we get to do. And he wants us to be active participants in harmony with his spirit that's working in you and with you. And of course, God wants to work through you. And it's this partnership that James is going to describe. It's this part of what we get to do in response to what God has done, working out what God has put inside of us. It's not just James. You know, Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter 2, 
Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even in my absence, he says, continue to work out your own salvation and reverence of God, for it's God who has worked in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Now, you might remember as we've been studying the book of James, and again, if you're new this morning, uh, we're blessed that you're here. One of the things that we noted about James is that uh, he's not uh, very fluffy in his writing. Right? He comes out pretty strong and straight. Uh, he loves the people he's writing to, but he'll he has no qualms about punching them in the face, spiritually speaking. He's like a, a drill instructor of the New Testament who wants to make sure that we as followers of Christ understand that it's more than just words. It's more than just a profession or a confession of our faith. There needs to be a practice there. There needs to be an equal sign between what we say we believe and then how we live our life. And it's James that then calls us to that, lovingly but strongly. And at times his words are sharp. They're almost bare-knuckled, if you will. They're very direct. And he doesn't present them as though they're options, like consider this, and maybe you can entertain this. It's not as though he brings us, like when we go to Blue Seal, like, okay, figure out what you want. Look at all of these selections. Hmm, do I go with salt uh, cookie or, uh, you know, choco mint? My answer is just get both, right? But it's not as though there's these options that he presents to us. It's very clear-cut commands. It's very direct. And that's what we've entered into here in this section. And so let's see what James tells us on behalf of God's Spirit working in him, what we should do, how we should respond to God's grace in our life. Verse 21, he says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. Now, as we jump into this, if you've been here for some time, you've heard me say any time, and perhaps maybe you've heard this before, when you get to that word, therefore, you want to pause for a moment. You want to be uh, good students of Scripture and realize that's a transition word. Something's happening. We want to go back to context and realize what is he making a connection? Where, what conclusion is he drawing based upon what he's told us before? But what he's told us before, well, it's God who brought us forth by the word of truth, verse 18. What he's told us before in verses 19 and 20 is that he's given us a prescription for our ears and our mouth and our heart that we're to be quick to listen but slow to speak, slow to wrath, don't fly off the handle. And now he adds to that application. Therefore, in light of all that God has done, the goodness of God, that every good gift comes from above, in light of all of these things, here's what we get to do. Here's what we should be doing. Lay aside all filthiness and all manner of wickedness. That term lay aside, it, it, it conveys a permanence. It's not like when you get home and you set your keys down and your phone down, only to come back and pick them back up again. No, this, this idea of laying aside means to permanently cut off, jettison, 
Throw it in the dumpster and don't go back looking for it. Put it in the shredder to be permanently thrown away. That's how we're to treat this. Well, treat what? You notice with me, it's not specifics that he gets to. It's broad category. It is wholesale sin. Every and all filthiness, every manner of of what we could do and think, the attitude of our heart that would fall under the category of that's not from God. I can spend all day giving you a list of those things that apply to me and perhaps apply to you, and I imagine there's uh, an inexhaustible list that all of us can come up with. And so I have to trust that the Holy Spirit will convict you as the Holy Spirit convicted me under the category of anything that's not of the Lord. Get rid of it. See, James is calling you and me and his readers to a a spiritual spring cleaning, if you will. Take inventory of your life and your heart for a moment. The things that you and I have done, have thought, have entertained, been entertained by, where our eyes have gone, where our fingers have clicked, the jokes that we've told, the gossip that we've spread. See, because God gives us every good thing, every perfect gift that's from above, the proof of God's goodness in our life, the very gift of salvation that he brought us forth, that we then should be quick to give attention then to his voice and his word, to be prayerful in our response, at times knowing that there'll be things that we're going to hear that we don't like and so not fly off the handle. James says, make more room for what God wants to do then. Take inventory of what's happening in your heart and your spirit and make room for his good things. Our response, if you will, then is to evaluate and throw out that doesn't belong, that's dirty, that's junky, uh, that's hindering me, that's not of the Lord, and get rid of it. That's the part that we get to play. That's the part that we get to respond. Of course, as we've talked about before, empowered by His Spirit, that's what we have to understand as, you know, understood here. And so we can just rephrase it this way. In order for you and I to experience the fullness of what God wants to give and and for us to experience, we have to remove everything that hinders its input. See, sometimes, not sometimes, we will, you will, I will cheat, and you will cheat yourself from the fullness of God's blessing by entertaining something that's not of the Lord. God is gracious and he's good. He's a God who wants to bless. James will even use the word, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You know, that, this principle isn't just something that James says. The Spirit inspired Paul to basically write very similar in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, put off your former way of life. Your old self, the old nature that's corrupted by deceitful desires, and instead be renewed 
in your spirit and in your mind. It's not just James. It's not just Paul. It's also Peter in 1 Peter 2. He writes very similar to what James writes here. He says, therefore, lay aside, same word, get rid of it, cut it off. Throw it in the trash and don't pick it up again. He expands his list, though. All malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speaking. And his analogy is a little different. He says, and as newborn babes, let's desire the pure milk of the word of God that we can grow thereby. And so the Bible instructs us. There's a part where you and I, are ha- we have to, we should put away, put off, lay aside our sinful attitudes and actions. And when we do that in response to God's Spirit, then we'll be able to put on, be renewed, and receive what God has for us. Oh, many years ago now, I... Um, the pastor down in Naha and I are good friends, Pastor Masato at Calvary Naha, and we were traveling stateside to a conference, and we went to go visit one of our friends who lives in Hagerman Valley, Idaho. And so we drove out to Idaho from California, and then we got there, we got to attend service, and we were hanging out in the parking lot with some of the guys from church, and a group was there. And all of a sudden, this pickup truck pulls up, and the door opens, and as soon as the door opens, uh, there's this particular type of just odor. It was foul. It was really distinct that filled the parking lot immediately. It just overwhelmed us. This young guy kind of hopped out. Now, Pastor Masato is standing next to me, and he leans in, and he's like, uh, in Japanese, kusai, it stinks, and he says, you know, what, what is that? Now, I knew right away when I smelt it, what it was. It's a smell that you don't smell here in Okinawa, but I lived in Southern California for a number of years. I knew what it was. Um, and I think I know where some of you are thinking that uh, it's not that kind of skunk. It was a real skunk smell, okay? It wasn't the wacky tobacco smell. Um, it was skunk. And we found out that this young man apparently had gotten sprayed directly and fully by a skunk at close proximity. And so, man, he reeked. And his mom yelled at him, (laughs) so funny, go home, Wyatt. (laughs) This poor kid, you know, got back in his truck and he drove off. Fast forward later that night, we're gathered together with uh, some folks at the church, with this pizza parlor, and, uh, and Wyatt shows up. And I look around real quickly, and there's all the chairs are filled except for the one next to me. And so Wyatt comes in, he sits right next to me, and I kind of lean him like, oh, he doesn't smell anymore. And so I said, what did you do? And he's like, oh, it happens all the time. And so he told me he washed in tomato juice and hydrogen peroxide. I said, all right, a life hack, uh, you know, good to know. Like, <laughs> I've never done that, but, you know, good to know. And, uh, but I was amazed. He had changed his clothes, of course. And he had no more smell, and he just joined us for fellowship. And, you know, I, I thought about that as we were reading this, and that, you know, before Wyatt could come and partake of the fellowship and being with his family and the church family and 
partaking of Dave's incredible pizza. And, um, you know, he had to take off his smelly skunk clothes. He had to wash in the overflow of hydrogen peroxide and tomato juice. Uh, when he did those things, then he could come in. Now, he was part of the church already. That was settled. Certainly, he was already part of the family. His mom and dad and his siblings were there. That, that wasn't the issue. The issue was his ability to experience fellowship and the blessing of being in fellowship. And James is telling us the same thing. This is not an issue of our salvation. Uh, you and I were saved if you name the name of Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior, you were cleansed from the power and the stench and the penalty of sin by the blood and the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, God accepted you and me, even in our stench, our stains, our stink. But God loves you. And God loved you so much that he didn't leave you or me in that state placed his spirit in you and in me. And from the inside out, God is, if you will, washing us clean. It's a process. And saved out of the world, and now God wants to get the world out of us. And so when you and I come to Christ, understand we're made new. All the old things have passed away. That, that's a transaction that's been settled. It's not an issue of whether we're part of the family or not. The issue is, as the Bible tells us, we still have an old nature we fight against. We still walk in a world that's filled with spiritual skunks that want to get its smell on us, that at times we can pick up, that we can default to, that we can stumble into, our old habits and old natures. We, this is part of our walk. But for us to experience then the blessing of the Lord, God says, hey, get rid of those things that you used to do. And the amazing thing for us is we've been given, if you will, a spiritual type of tomato juice and hydrogen peroxide. And the blood of Christ washes us and forgives us. We're part of the family. But it's 1 John 1, 9. If you don't know that verse, I'd like to lovingly challenge you, encourage you to memorize it, write it out, make it a memory verse. It's our spiritual soap. It's written to believers that when we sin, and when we, uses the word proposition if, confess our sins, we just name them and we, we see them as God sees them because we can't hide them from the Lord anyways. We're honest with God. We're honest with ourselves. We confess our sins. God is faithful. God is just. He will forgive us and cleanse us. And if you're at that verse, you know that next. Of all filthiness, of all unrighteousness. It's the counterpart to this. It's the soap that we then come to the Lord and say, God, I blew it. Forgive me and we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us, forgive us. Then, when we do that, to lay aside, notice the filthiness, the overflow of wickedness, whatever that looks like in your life and mine, and then it says, and receive with meekness. The implanted word, the word of God that's able, saves our souls. 
Now, we talked before, there's a, there is a sanctified attitude in which we can come be the, before the Lord with boldness. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that we can come boldly into the presence of the Lord. And we can do that because of what Christ has done for us. We can be eager for the things of God. But we have to temper that with humility. We have a flippant attitude before the Lord. It's humility. We humbly receive what God wants to speak and give to us, the implanted word. And what a great descriptor for the scriptures, the idea of being implanted. Nowadays in our culture, we, you know, that, that term implanted, that's something we don't like. I don't want anything implanted in me. Oh, but we want the word to be implanted. Where God gives and God speaks. His Holy Spirit then speaks through the word of God to our hearts. We want that implanted. That's a good thing. And what a great descriptor. It describes, it, it gives a descriptor of something that's alive. For the word of God is living. But also describes something that can grow. We're encouraged to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. For Paul tells the Ephesians church, Hello, hello. Ooh. Sorry, you guys. We good? All right. You know, Spurgeon that said uh, back in his day, you couldn't be a good preacher unless you're over 200 pounds because they had no amplification system. You just had to belch your voice out. By those standards, I'm a good preacher. So. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, where am I? Oh, a great descriptor of God's word. Conveys the imagery of roots, conveys the imagery of growth. And really, that's what God wants in our hearts. Where the word of God would grow roots in our heart, and that would be fruitful. It's good, I'll just go with this. And so we think of our heart like a small garden. The part of our responsibility then is to tend that garden. There's things that can grow up in our garden, right? The weeds of sin and choke out the word and take over, you know, space. And so... We're to attend the garden of our heart. The gospel begins with the saving of our souls. But it has the power to save more than just our souls, if you will. It's the word of God has the power to save our marriages, save our families. We apply the word, it saves our relationships and friendships, even our careers. We act according to the word of God. It saves us from mistakes heartache, foolish choices. The Word of God can save us from crisis that, that often is created. You have friends and family, I do, to see what happens when they're not living according to the Word of God. Perhaps you've experienced that yourself as I have. The mess you can make when you divert from Scripture. And so it has the power to save us. And then James just gives us very plainly the application, verse 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. And he adds this, though, deceiving yourself. It is a vital key when it comes to God's word and our response to it. 
two parts. And the idea is that we, we have to, we should hear it, listen to it, give attention to it. But James says that's not enough. We got to do something with it. Heed it, apply it, live it out. And so I'll just rephrase what James tells us here. It's not enough to only hear God's word. We have to obey God's word. You know, that phrase, the idea of hearers only, today we can translate it like auditing a class. You ever go to school, maybe college, or, and you can, they allow you to, sometimes some schools allow you just to audit a class. The idea where you take the class, but you don't have to do any of the work. Maybe it's even a, a smaller you know, fee to get in, but you don't have to do the homework, and you don't really, you know, but you don't get any credit either. That's the idea. You just go for information. When I was in school, I had some friends that would audit classes just so they were <laughs> terrible because they wanted to, you know, try to find a girlfriend. I'm like, crazy. So it's the same term here. It's the idea of James is saying, listen, don't come and audit class with God's word where you just sit and receive and you do nothing with it. As though we just come and be mere spectators and not actively participant, participate. And there are those even in Jesus' day. And they were in class, if you will. Jesus turns to this group of religious leaders and he says in John 5, you, you, know, you, you study the scriptures diligently thinking that you'll find in them eternal life. He says, but the very scriptures that testify about me, you read it, but you're not heeding it. He says, for you refuse to come to me and have life. And so here's a warning for us. Here, here's something that's really sobering. This verse tells us that we shouldn't merely come and audit the word of God. To come and sit and receive and to leave and do nothing with it. That's really easy to do in our day and age. I mean, one of the blessings of living in our time now is that we have amazing access to the Word of God like never before. You can download hundreds of different translations on your electronic device that's sitting on your lap or in your pocket. It's amazing. And even beyond that, we have access to podcasts and uh, live streams and audiobooks and all manner of access to teaching, biblical content, debates, studies, just at our fingertips. And, and, and that's a blessing. But there's a danger in that because the danger is that we can just become consumers of content. And it could be really good, solid biblical content. The danger, though, is we have no outlet. We're just consumers. We're not taking what God has given to us and living that out and serving the Lord and being in community. It's just a form of spectating. We're just taking in, taking in, taking in, and never giving out. So there's a danger even for us as, as followers of Christ. I mean, one of the things I, I love about our live stream is that we're able to connect to people who can't uh, come to church for whatever reason. They're deployed, they're sick, COVID. There's some folks that are watching even, you know, from the States. And so there's a blessing there. 
And, and praise the Lord, you know, you guys are here, but we, we have to be careful that we don't allow that to become our default or that just becomes so convenient and comfortable. You're just consuming. And so here, James is telling us a person who only listens and hasn't permitted the word of truth to permeate their hearts so that they're seeking the Lord and applying the truth, James says, you are fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're living a lie. If you think or I think I can just come hear a message or read the scripture and close my Bible or, or close the podcast off and just go out and do whatever I want to do. You know that term, deceive yourself, it's actually in, in the original Greek, it's, a, a, it's a, an accounting term. It's the idea that you've made a gross miscalculation. You're trying to convert yen to dollars and you got it all wrong. That ice cream's not $1,000, you know. He says, you, you've, uh, you've made a gross error in your thinking, is the idea. Now, James offers his own analogy. and It's not skunks and uh, pizza parlors. He says, verse 23, for anyone who is a hearer of the word and then not a doer, here's his analogy. It's like a person who looks in the mirror. You look in the mirror and you see yourself, and then you go away and you immediately forget what you just saw. I think we can all relate to that. I imagine, I'm not a prophet, but I imagine that uh, all of us, or many of the majority of us, at some point this morning already, we looked in a mirror, maybe more than one time. The Word of God is likened to a mirror. That's a good analogy, right? Because a mirror, for the most part, unless it's you know tweaked or magnified, whatever, it, it will just reflect back what it sees, right? It, it doesn't lie. It will show you exactly what you look like and who you are, if you will. And so this morning, I got up. And one of the things I did is I looked in the mirror. Now, I don't have to worry about bedhead anymore. That's a blessing. But I checked my teeth and for me, as I've gotten older, I've got to check my ears and my nose, too, and crazy eyebrows. and right? We check ourselves before we go out, and some of you, you know, check your makeup and, you know, and, and just make sure you're okay. Because it reflects back to you. You get to see the reality of you. There's no filters on our mirror like we have on Instagram. And I think it's a great analogy because there's even a part where the idea of Observing closely. And the closer you get to a mirror, and I'll add this, and the brighter the light, the more you see of yourself. More is revealed. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I'm, I'm scared at what I see. Although there is a blessing about getting older because uh, my eyesight's not as good as it used to be, so I look better now. <laughs> But my wife has one of those uh, magnified mirrors with the light around it. That thing's terrifying. You're like, whoa, what is that? I just see everything on your face. That's the word of God. 
the brighter it is, the closer you are, as it magnifies, it will show you exactly who you are. And isn't it amazing? One of the paradoxes of our faith is the closer we come to God, the, the more that we draw closer to Christ, the more that we realize just how uh, sinful we are, how far we are from the Lord. And the Apostle Paul had this increasing awareness of his sinfulness the closer and the longer he walked with the Lord. And by the end of his life, when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, that Christ came to save sinners, and I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners, he would say of himself. And so very plainly, the word of God tells us the truth about who God is, but also about who you are. And where James will go with this is sometimes we don't like what we see. Sometimes we don't like what we hear. And we rather forget. But that is the power of God's word. In fact, back in Hebrews, when we were studying Hebrews, remember that it's so powerful that it will discern your thoughts and your intentions. It can see and reflect you and show you even more than you know yourself. It will expose everything. There's nothing that is untouched. And so for us then to read and to hear God's truth, be exposed to that, and the idea of the areas that we should then repent of and get rid of, and we don't, James says, you are lying to yourself. You're only hurting yourself. But notice the contrast, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And so here's the contrast. It's the person who then does look into the word of God, if you will, does see what is reflected back. And that word, that term for look, it means the idea to absorb, to to contemplate, to take in fully. But notice he he changes the descriptor. He, He calls the scriptures The perfect law of liberty. What a great descriptor. The perfect law of liberty. Sometimes we can make the mistake to think that scriptures are, or the word of God is somehow just a New Testament version of the law. That, oh, God is restrictive in us experiencing life fun, or joy. Now, I have to confess, I used to think that as a non-believer, and I would say, and for me, it was, I was ignorant. I didn't realize. And I'm still growing in my understanding of really the freedom of God's grace in our life and of walking in that and understanding that. Because there was part of me before I thought, I, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I'm not restricted or bound by these things. But the reality was, and is, no, I wasn't. I was in bondage to my own sin, bondage and slave to the world standards, living for myself and pleasing friends and giving into temptation and 
and peer pressure and all these things? Really enslaved to the, as the Bible describes, right, to the patterns of this world. Thinking that, oh, I need to do these things and I would do these things and I'll be accomplished and successful and just chasing trinkets was really what it was. But when the Spirit opened my eyes and I began to read the Word, I realized, oh, yeah, I was enslaved. I was in bondage. It, true freedom was found only in Christ. And tomorrow we're going to gather, hopefully at the beach, and celebrate Independence Day. And praise the Lord that we get to live in countries where we can exercise and enjoy our freedoms. The freedom to gather together and worship and study the Word of God. United States, here in Japan as well. These are things that we shouldn't take for granted. And so it's good to have a day to remember and celebrate and praise the Lord for our freedoms. But our spiritual freedom that the that we get from the Lord, this perfect law of liberty. Well, you and I are free from the power and the penalty of sin, as I said earlier. We're, you know what I'm free from? Maybe you're free from this too. I'm free from having to hide my lies. It was so exhausting. I forgot the lie that I told to certain people. And then it was just all the energy that it was exerted for me to try to remember, what lie did I tell to this person? How did I exaggerate these things? Present myself in a way that just wasn't untrue. To try to impress people that I really didn't, didn't care about me and I didn't care about them, but just in bondage to all these things. To get rid of that, so free. Just to be me and people don't like me, oh well, you don't like me. and I'm okay. God loves me. I'm a trophy of God's grace. Free from the guilt and the shame and the chains of my past mistakes. You know, there's times where I share my testimony, and hopefully I do so as a, as a, to the glory of God. But even yesterday, my kids were asking me about my, my BC days, you know, before Christ days. It's like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to lie to them, but I. They're like, Dad, did you ever smoke pot? I'm like, let's just read our Bibles, kids. Free from that stuff. Praise the Lord. And the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? And so we're free. We're free to serve and love and worship. We're free to enjoy the, the full blessings of, of God. And, and, and this is what James is talking about. We, we get to look into the, the perfect law of liberty that sets us free. And we continue in it. Of course, we're all works in progress. That's the idea. It's grace upon grace. Now, he does call it work, though. Notice, you continue in it. You're not a forgetful here, but you do the work, a doer of the work. Let me pause for a second before we get to our time of communion. Listen, this is key. And this is something that you and I cannot get wrong. Now, if you've been in church for a while, perhaps you already know this. I'm going to hopefully just reinforce what you already know, and in your spirit you just say amen. Listen, we do not work for our salvation. We do not work for approval from God. 
We do not work for the love of God. Christ did the work. We receive that already. God loves you. God can't love you anymore. He loves you to fullness. And even as Christians, listen, I'll share this past season, it's been something I've been struggling with. I've shared with some of the guys. And I realized where that came from. Had one of those kind of moments of reflecting upon just my childhood and the way that I related to my own dad. My dad was not a loving guy. I mean, loved me in his ways, I suppose, but he wasn't. My dad was all performance-based. As soon as he got home, he'd be like, did you do your chores? He wanted, you know, what was my homework done? What was my GPA? It was just performing. He never asked me, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? It was always, did you win your wrestling match? Uh, what did you do? It was just, what did I do and how did I do it? And so I, without realizing it, you know, I, I took that and that's how I would relate to God. And so I come before the Lord. God, I did my devotions today. I studied well. I prayed for my wife. And I presented God like this list as though my performance was going to earn his love and his adoration and, and relationship with him. No. Our, our relationship's not performance-based. Christ and his work accomplished everything for us. You know, it's like when you're in school and you're in this group project, you do all the work, and then the lazy students just got your grade. Remember that? Or, or maybe if you're like me, I was the lazy student got your grade. <laughs> That's what Jesus did for us. He did all the work. We just get his GPA. We get his credit. We did nothing. Listen, our work, our work, we don't work for salvation. We don't work for our relationship for God, with God. Our work follows. It is the overflow. It is the response. It's an act of love for the Lord and to the Lord. All because of what God has done for us. And for me, uh, I have to come back, and I've shared this illustration before, because this is where I have to come back to. I remember when my mom, before she passed away, some of you guys know that she, she fought cancer for a number of years. And it was hard to watch her go through this. My mom was a hardworking lady. And so I'd go and visit her, and there was times where I'd go, and there'd be dishes in the sink, and you know, she just didn't have the energy to make the bed or you know, clean the house a little. And so I would go and visit her, and I would do that. I'd wash the dishes, and I would sweep the floor and kind of tidy up. And it wasn't because, like when I was a kid, that on the refrigerator there was a chore list for Ricky to do. And if I didn't do it, you know, she chased me around with her chanclas and her zodis and beat me with her flip-flops. I wasn't under penalty of being beaten by her chanclas. I went and did it because I loved her. <laughs> That's all, because I, I loved her. And I wanted to bless my mom and just be a blessing to her. And it blessed me to be able to bless her, and so that's why I did it. It's in the same way. We get to bless God 
as a response to what God has done for us. And it should just be an act of love. That's where the Lord wants to bring us. Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll obey my commandments. You know what God's grace upon grace is? James says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If we just do what God asks us to do, then blessings come. Yeah. Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In Matthew chapter 7, he gave this illustration about two builders, and he called one wise and one foolish. The illustration was, the wise person built a house upon the rock, and when the typhoon came, things were good. The foolish person was the person who built their house on the sand. And he explains it. And you know what the similarity between the two builders were? For everyone who hears these words of mine, the foolish person heard his words and did not do them. The wise person heard his words and did them. The similarity is they both heard. The difference was is how they responded. Blessed is the one who hears and does. That's grace upon grace. There's times where my kids will be like, hey, I cleaned the room. Can I get some money? I'm like, what? No, get out of here. The fact that you live in my house, that's what, you know. You should just, you're just doing what's expected of you. Then there's other times where I'm like, all right, here you go. Go get some ice cream from Lawson. The Lord wants to bless us even when we just do what he's called us to do. And this one will be blessed in what he does. Again, God is the initiator. God is the activator of our salvation. In his great love for you, he called you. He brought you forth by the word of truth. And our response to that, as James tells us, is to make more room for what God wants to do. And how do we do that? Get rid of your junk. Lay aside, cast away, throw it in the dumpster, all the stuff that's not of the Lord. And our tendency is to be spiritual hoarders at times. Oh, there's still stuff that's in our life. Listen, we're works in progress. There's grace. But when the Spirit shows you, it's 1 John 1, 9. We get sprayed by the skunks of the world and we pick this stuff up. You confess, you repent. God is faithful and just to forgive and to wash us. James says, if you don't live in that, you're lying to yourself. You become your own hindrance. You're cutting yourself off from the fullness of what God wants to do in your life, in your family's life, your marriage. The logical thought is, why would you want to do that? Listen, we're saved by the completed work of Christ. God doesn't, it's not looking for our performance, but it is our response. And we get to experience blessing when we do what God's called us to do. That's amazing. So this morning, we're going to close in a time of communion. We get to remember God's great love for us, God's grace for us. The fact that we are recipients of his salvation and his grace. And God calls us then to respond to that. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the morning. We thank you for your word. As we opened in prayer, Lord, we close in prayer the same way. May verse 22 be what we do. That as we've heard your word today, 
that we would be doers of it. Empowered by your spirit, enjoying the fullness of blessing as you continue to work in us and we continue to follow. Brothers, we have this time of communion. I pray that we'd spend these moments allowing your spirit to search our hearts. Like a mirror, Lord, to see those things that don't belong. And we would leave them where they do belong, at the foot of the cross. Covered by the blood of Christ, washed away. We thank you for your grace, that your mercies are new every day. Lord, help us to walk in that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.